This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Driven by Data, the podcast, season two, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. We're delighted to bring you another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, which boasts even more data analytics and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Our aim remains the same to uncover how some of the most prominent leaders within the data analytics community tackle our industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, ideas and experience. And just as in season one, to give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season two. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Paul French, who is the Director of Data and Analytics at First Central. So Paul, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, My pleasure. It's great to have the opportunity to chat to you today, Kyle. No, not at all. So pleasure is uh, is all ours, Paul. And obviously, uh, what a what a better way to start a uh, Friday morning eight thirty a.m. than uh, after chat to me. So <laughs> I feel <laughs> I feel your pain. But where we always start, Paul, is uh, by asking our guests to give themselves a, a brief introduction into their background and journey up until this point. If uh, if you'd be so kind. Sure. Yeah. So. Um... I uh, I've worked for three organisations in in my career. Um, the first one was was very sort of fleeting. I came out of college, uh, not really sure what I wanted to do to be honest. And I remember on the college notice board uh, one day, I was thinking about going to university. There was a job ad that said uh, MIS uh, Excel uh, skills required, um, and it was at a local newspaper. I had no idea what that was, but I kind of thought, right, actually, uh, I'm not sure I do want to go to uni. So I went and had a conversation. And that was my entry into uh, into the world of data, I guess, really. I didn't know it at the time, uh, but basically it was about um, creating some Excel uh, reports and dashboards to monitor advertising revenue for uh, the local newspaper. Uh, so I did that for a couple of years, found I had a real passion uh, and uh, and skill, actually, for being able to use the technology to present data that people could use for decision making. Um, I then joined Nationwide Building Society uh, and my intention was to be there probably for a couple of years and then move on and do something else. Um, 27 years later, I was I was still in that organisation um, and uh, it was a fabulous business. It was terrific for me personally in terms of developing my career. Uh, I, again, in, I joined as a as kind of a finance PC developer, really, uh, again, producing kind of finance reporting systems when I arrived. And then over my 20, 27 years there, um, I progressed uh, probably after three or four years, I picked up my first team leadership responsibilities, uh, again, in an MIS environment. And that was the first time that I really uh, felt that I had a, a passion and interest for coaching and supporting others. Um, and I was surprised because I was naturally quite an introvert and I never really saw myself running big teams like that. Um, I, I did a stint uh, at Nationwide in a couple of other uh, types of roles, uh, a operational risk role uh, and a sort of finance project program management role where I led the finance integration as part of a big merger that Nationwide were doing. Um, And it's really interesting, actually, the operational risk role particularly. um, I did it for 12 months. Um, uh, I didn't particularly enjoy it. 
Um, but what it did highlight to me actually was uh, by, take, by taking a step into something that was a little unknown uh, and having a go, um, you can actually help to determine what you what you are or aren't so good at uh, and what you do and don't enjoy doing so i see that as a whilst it was you know not the most fantastic 12 months of my career it was it was very very beneficial to to me in my kind of long-term career um and then uh, about 10 years ago nationwide formed its first information management competency center and i was asked to take on the role leading the bi team uh, that sort of run for three or ran for three or four years, and then uh, Nationwide created their first chief data officer. Um, and interestingly, you know what what Nationwide did was uh, took a decision to to use somebody in the organisation who was really well networked, who was a consumer of data, came from the finance area, uh, and uh, but wasn't necessarily a kind of technology or a data expert. And actually, it was a bit of a masterstroke at the time because he joined the executive team. Um, and actually, he was—he had influence because of his network across the organisation. Uh, and I took on a role there as director of business intelligence. So the focus there was about how do you enable, you know, up to eighteen thousand colleagues across the business to be able to self-serve and do more with data themselves. And that's where I got really interested in the topic of. Uh, data culture and kind of the people and behavioral uh, change side of how do you get people to interact and use data uh, and some of the fantastic enabling technologies that we had. Um, sadly, uh, around February time in uh, 2021, what year are we in now? Yeah, 2021, <laughs> um, uh, my role was made redundant and uh, I took, uh, I decided I was going to take six months off um, to kind of recharge the batteries, focused on trying to bring my golf handicap down, which was um, <laughs> I had some success, which was great. Um, and then uh, I was ready for my for my next opportunity. And that's where I joined First Central, where I'm now uh, director of data and analytics. Nice. Well, thank you for the uh, comprehensive overview. What a uh, what a career. Great story. Um, it's interesting how you talk about the you know, putting yourself into different roles allows you to understand actually this is something I like and I'm good at versus I don't like and I'm I'm not, which I, I think not many people get the opportunity to do throughout their career often because they're too scared to step out into yeah. that unknown, right, which is yeah. interesting. So um, for anyone that doesn't know First Central, just give us a high level overview of the business, kind of who they are, what they do, et cetera. Sure. So um, we call First Central Insurance and Technology Group, um, which is quite interesting in itself. Uh, and who we are really is a fast growing UK insurer uh, and innovator in data. And the reason I describe it in that way is that is that is our business's definition of who we are. So as a data practitioner, that is that's gold dust to get mm. to, to have data mentioned front and center in who we are as a business but essentially we're a personal lines insurer focused uh, you know in most of our history short history so we've been around since uh, 2008 um, we are primarily a car insurer um, focused on uh, you know uh, we do our distribution is through price comparison websites primarily mm. um, yep. but yes personal lines insurer based uh, pretty much in the UK um, you know we've got our underwriting team out in, in Gibraltar um, but that's that's who we are and our, our, uh, the reason we're and technology is First Central took a decision a number of years ago to create our own insurance platform uh, so different to many other organizations we've created our own operational system you know for mm -hmm. policy management quotes and claims uh, 
which means that actually we're able to have more direct control over new features, new events, and how we can plumb data events uh, into that platform. Mm. So we think that's kind of a bit of a unique selling point for us. But yeah, that's a, that's a bit about First Central. Yeah, interesting, interesting. So obviously you, you've taken on the role there of Director of Data and Analytics. Talk us through kind of, you know, what that role entails. What What's the kind of overarching goal of, you know, what you're tasked with achieving? So, I mean, I always I always bring the goals back to what's the business want me to achieve. Um, and actually, all through my career, Kyle, I've, I've pretty much, I've never actually, this is the first time I've actually been based in an IT function. Uh, you know, all through my career at Nationwide, I was based in business functions or in the last few years in the in the chief data office. Um, so I, I come at the, the, the data challenge, the data opportunity very much with a business lens. So um, the, the mission of the organization uh, is to enrich every experience, colleague and customer with data ingenuity. So at a headline level, that's what I need to do. You know, in my role, how do I enable that across the organization? Practically, that breaks down into how do we create uh, platforms and pipelines that allow us to change rapidly and serve up the information that people need? How do we uh, ensure that that data has effective management and governance so people understand the quality and integrity so they can use it for whatever purpose that they wish to with an understanding of the risk they might be taking with that data? We've got an area around kind of BI uh, and visualization, where actually we're trying to both deliver uh, dashboard and self-service solutions, but also we're providing coaching and mentoring uh, and standards and guardrails for people across the organization to use tools like Power BI to drive value themselves. Uh, we have a data culture and a data products team, which really manages the interface out to the business. Um, and the reason I've done that is because um, I think too often data teams can get quite disconnected from the business areas and what they're trying to achieve. So my philosophy is about creating cross-functional teams, provide, provide them with a data product owner who then bases themselves out in the business pillar. So they're able to focus on the things that the business need and want. And there's a very tight couple in between the, 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 the functions. Mm. Um, and then finally, uh, Next year, I think I will be looking to build out uh, an advanced analytics and data science capability. We already have some of that in our underwriting team. Uh, and my role at the moment is to support them with the platforms they need to be able to carry out their activities. But I think we need to enhance that uh, a little bit next year um, as we look to scale out machine learning and, uh, and the use of advanced analytics in the business. Really, really. I mean, it always fascinates me how data leaders set up their teams and I think it, you can you can gauge quite a lot from just that exercise alone normally um so look you, you and I probably first engaged what 12 or so months ago you probably weren't too long into your um yeah. stint with with first central and I think I'd I think I'd reached out to you to kind of just say look I love I love what you're doing on LinkedIn because um as every one of our listeners probably knows all I bang on about on LinkedIn is, is, <laughs> is the importance of understanding what that kind of compelling message and narrative and USP is and finding a way to make yourself visible and get that message to the masses. And if you can do that, you stand out from the crowd. And that's what I saw you doing. And when I looked around, Paul, there wasn't many other people that were doing that. But I guess a good starting point why did you decide to join First Central? Because I often think there's usually a correlation there between 
the passion that someone has to put themselves out there to do that and their belief in the business so yeah 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 no so i think i mean it's a great question uh, and actually you know when i finished at nationwide i had a real uh, sort of pause and reflect moment um, and and for me what what i set out um was three or four characteristics that i was looking for in any new business that i was going into so and, and those characteristics were not about you know technology or anything like that they were all about the culture and the ambition of the organization that I wanted to go into. So characteristic number one was I wanted to go to an organization where I could have more personal accountability uh, and a broader set of responsibilities. Um, And what that meant was I would probably need to go into a smaller organization uh, because nationwide fabulous business uh, that it is, it's an 18,000, you know, people uh, kind of oil tanker really. uh, so I was looking for somewhere where I could have more a uh, broader set of responsibilities um, and have more accountability. Linked to that, I also wanted to go to an organization that moved at pace so I could see a direct impact on customer and colleagues of decisions or actions that I took. And again, in a large organization, it's very difficult to see that that direct impact. Um, so that led to me to, OK, well, I'm probably looking for more of a mid-sized organization or a business that's growing rapidly. Um, so that, that that was kind of two of the characteristics. I think the, the other things were then really about um, about data and, and culture. So um, I hear lots of organizations say have the headline you know we want to drive value from data you know we're a value driven we're a data driven business and actually when you scratch the surface you find that it's just words and actually there isn't that that kind of isn't embedded into their dna um what was really interesting is through the recruitment process you know i uh, had the opportunity to speak to uh, three or four of the exco team members here at first central uh, and there were a few things that struck me firstly each of them was able to describe really clearly how uh, success with data um, was going to help them achieve their business ambitions. You know, I was talking to the underwriting director and he was very clear that he talked about, you know, underwriting is all about breadth and depth of data to be able to price for risk more effectively. Um, you know, and he talked really lucidly about the things that he needed, a, you know, if I were to be successful, he would need me to do. So that was that was really valuable for me because I got a sense that actually this business understands the implicit link between data and achievement of business outcomes. Um, The second thing that I was surprised about that struck me, and again, I hadn't had it on my characteristics, but it it became really important, was when I spoke to each of the Exco members, the sense of uh, kind of joined up alignment and collaboration on what the business was trying to achieve overall Yes, they talked about, you know, what their individual pillars were looking to achieve, but actually all of them talked about this is what the organization is trying to achieve. And we do this in the context of the greater business good. Um, so I got a sense that actually there was going to be a high, high degree of collaboration and um, a low degree of politics. And I have to say, you know, this organization in 12 months, I haven't really seen a hint of any 
politics at all mm. and that's so refreshing when you're trying to do particularly in a data role because i think you know we're <laughs> we're there to be shot down because data will always have issues and you know very rarely people celebrate the things you do with data uh, but they're very quick to pick on, on things that aren't working and actually we've had a couple of those instances but it's all done very transparently there's no sense of politics it's like we've got an issue let's get around the table let's sort it out and let's move forward um so again that was really important and then finally um, I need. I wanted to go to an organisation that had values that were congruent with mine. Um, you know, and we talk in our, in our values about agility, ambition, uh, collaboration, and ownership. Uh, and when you think about everything I've just said, all four of those values come came through um, in what the business uh, talked about in terms of how it operated. So, culture, ambition, clear sense of how data would support the business outcomes are what drew me here. Mm, yeah that's really interesting i think you know a lot of what you spoke about there around you know i guess the general appetite from the business them all pulling in the same direction that's something that doesn't normally happen it's a you know everyone talks about it there's a lot of lip service paid to that type yeah. of stuff but in reality it's difficult to find a business that is actually living and breathing that which is um yeah which is really interesting so obviously you land in the role you're then tasked with building out what's going to be your your team and, and, and your office, right? So just talk me through the thought process of why you decided to, in comparison to what 99% of other data leaders do who, you know, uh, probably going to get in trouble with this, but palm it off to someone else, right? You know, it's kind of like, this isn't my job. We have an internal talent team that does this. And look, Broadly speaking, that's true, right? That is why that is why organizations have internal talent teams. It's why they use partners because they typically don't have the time or resource. My big thing on this is irrespective of everything else, if this doesn't work, it's your head on the chopping block and no one else's. So fundamentally, it's your responsibility. And that's my that's been my message for donkey's years now, right? But yeah. yet we're still in this situation where most people, you know, they haven't got the time, they're not that comfortable doing it, whatever the case may be. There's a whole variety of reasons. But talk me through your strategies to, right, I'm going to go this direction as opposed to something else. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's a couple of things I would say before I kind of dive into it. I think, um, firstly, uh, I sat down with, uh, with my boss, uh, who's the CIO, um, and we talked about what success would look like in my first six months at First Central. Um, and, you know, his his view was, look, we need to build a capability that's going to allow us to uh, support the ambitions of the business. And we're a long way off that at the moment. Um, so therefore, you know, in, in six months time, Paul, success would look like, have you defined your operating model? Have you have you recruited or gone a long way to recruiting the team? that puts in place the foundations to allow us to be successful alongside, you know, a bunch of other things as well. But actually that was clearly defined in success criteria as part of my first six months. So it gave me that clarity and it actually between myself and my boss, John, there was something that we contracted on, which was, look, you want me to build this team. I'm going to make it a priority. The second thing is, um, I uh, I was recruited, uh, approached by the talent acquisition lead at First Central. I was kind of on. I, I did. I said to her the other day, you put. I was on the golf course enjoying myself, uh, and you came and kind of contacted <laughs> yeah. me on LinkedIn and and, and fished me out. So, um, uh, but actually, my own personal experience of being found on LinkedIn through a talent acquisition team 
kind of, I, I guess, just reinforced to me the power of that platform to be able to uh, engage candidates uh, and find good people. Um, so one of the first things I did was said, look, at least think about the, this this outcome I need to achieve. I need to think about it. Uh, with, have a strategy for it in the same way that if I was trying to deliver a data platform or I'm trying to enable you know, a data science team, it's a business problem that you've got to solve. So therefore, you have to have a strategy and you have to have a plan. You have to have an approach uh, rather than I've got to go and recruit 10 people. I'll kind of do that as, a, as an and to everything else I'm doing. So treat it as a strategic problem. Uh, so first thing I went and did was sat down with the talent acquisition team and I said, look, you know, we need to grow the team. These are the capabilities I'm looking for. Uh, I am I, I'm kind of really, really passionate about creating a more uh, certainly gender diverse workforce than we had. So I want us to focus on how we're going to attract more female candidates uh, and talent into the organization. Um, and we developed a bit of bit of a strategy. And uh, there was some of the principles we put in there were things like. Uh, I committed that when uh, we had an application in, I would uh, turn it around within 24 hours. So I'd CV scan and say, look, am I going to talk to this person? And that was the other thing, you know, in terms of uh, how we were going to go through the the interview process, it was I'm going to have a 15, 30 minute conversation with somebody before we get into more of a formal interview, just to sense, is this person going to be a good fit? Actually, is it in the nicest possible sense, is it worth us having an hour, hour and a half structured interview, which actually 10 minutes in, we both both parties might realise is not going to work. Um, but that was, you know, activity number one was how are we going to respond quickly as candidates come through the door? The second was how do we to how do we start um, talking, shouting more loudly? Because First Central was quite a modest business in terms of how it communicated externally. You know, and I, I, I made a clear point as to say, look, we've got a great story to tell. Um, candidates will be excited by what we're doing with data and the opportunity, but we're not telling it. So we need to kind of get out and amplify that across the across the, the networks to help people understand what it is we're doing and what we're trying to achieve. So that was kind of a core part of the strategy was that how do we tell our story such that people are drawn to us rather than me kind of randomly dropping into somebody's mailbox and saying, hey, I've got a job. Are you interested? Because they would have gone, who the hell are First Central? I've never, well, which is what I did, to be honest, when <laughs> I got contacted. So I knew, you know, because part of my own experience was I've no idea who this organization is. I've never heard of them. You know, it sounds interesting, exciting, but actually I need to learn more about the business, which I did through the recruitment process. But when you're recruiting at scale, you've got to have that story out there so people will engage with you. So, but my, but my strategy was to work hand in hand in glove with the talent acquisition team. I put in uh, an hourly check-in on a Friday because we had a lot of roles. We talked about what was working, what wasn't working, how we were going to tweak and change things. Um, and I have to say I was supported by an absolutely fabulous uh, talent acquisition team. Um, and we kind of worked out what our roles were going to be in it, you know, because, they were great at going and you know finding prospective candidates, um, but they needed the input from me and my team to uh, help shortlist and actually tailor what it was they were looking for. So, but it was a it was very much a strategic approach. So much stuff you said in there, Paul, that I'd love to address. And um, <clears throat> to be honest with you, if I did that, we'd probably be here for about four hours. So um, I'll try to keep <laughs> I'll try to keep it brief. But um, I think first of all, the fact that you identify that as 
this is a business problem that needs a strategy just as our data initiatives needs a strategy it immediately is putting you up on a pedestal because most businesses as i've said before it's it's not thought of like that it's like we need a team but you know we're building a data lake so um you know i'll, I'll flick through some cvs at night or on the train home or whatever the case may be so i think that's that's the first thing the second thing about telling the story because and, I, and i'm very vocal on this you know outside of facebook amazon google tesla netflix who people want on their cvs everyone else is kind of in the same bucket, right? Irrespective of size and scale. Of course, yeah, there's some bigger names out there that people will know because of just life and they've been around forever, but that doesn't mean they necessarily want to work there, right? So um, (laughs) that that's really important and i think obviously been a, a crucial part of your success because it just you know and I've, i speak about this a lot but if you can start generating people towards you as opposed to you being have to be the aggressor every single time and we all know what it's like in this industry right it's very insular so you only need to go and get a couple of really good people and all of a sudden people's kind of ears prick up and go oh, hang on some, such a body's landed over there what's what's all that about right so yeah. it's um yeah really interesting i think the third and final thing and this is probably in my opinion why it falls down in most other businesses is there's normally a huge disconnect between talent acquisition team and hiring manager slash data leader slash whoever else in the business normally to be honest with you because it's kind of seen as i said earlier i need these 10 people and i need you to go and find me these 10 people right and the disconnect of is often a is often a knowledge thing and it's nobody's fault, right? But often talent acquisition teams, they're not data people and they don't live in this world every single day. And therefore they don't know what that target audience, they don't know what things will make them tick. So they often can't create a, a message that excites people and that's where it falls down. But there's normally a big disconnect between involvement in process, which it sounds like you were very quick to kind of, click onto that if I get involved here and I, I can help them kind of with the messaging and with what's important and with what we're actually looking for and how we articulate that yes they're going to do the heavy lifting right they're going to do the searching and finding the people and then I can interview them but I think it's that upfront piece which makes all the difference which again most people don't do but, but if you think talk- about it that, that's what I don't understand Carl right because uh, when you think about uh, okay let, let, selfishly what what's going to what is going to make me succeed or fail in this business right it isn't going to be it isn't going to be the technology i deploy it isn't going to be the pipelines that i build well it it kind of is but the thing that's going to make me succeed or fail is the team i recruit around me right so i i personally cannot understand why anybody would not invest the time in creating that right team and I mean, just one example of in the first three months, um, because I was still recruited by leadership team, every hire we made, um, I said, I want a 15 minute 15 minute call at the end of the process. If they don't report directly for me, I just want a 15 minute call to just chat to the person to make sure that their values, their their character and their how they went about things was going to be a good fit. I didn't get involved in, you know, technically are they capable of building a, you know, an Azure pipeline or whatever, because my team would have done that. What was really crucial to me was the team I'm building, you've got to have the right mindset. You've got to have the right attitude. I was really transparent with people saying you're coming into, you know, an organization that from a data perspective, 
is building foundations. Therefore, if you want to come into a business where everything's defined and you want to kind of slot into existing processes, this ain't the place for you. Whereas if you want to come in and shape something and create something and it can feel a bit chaotic at times, uh, you'll be a fabulous addition. So again, you know, it, I, and I only did that in the first three months because then once you start to get your core team around you, you can kind of trust that they're going to recruit, you know, people with the right with the right mindset. But but fundamentally, my success, personal success, is going to be based on the team I have around me. So why would no? I cannot understand why nobody would want to invest time and have a deliberate strategy around that. It just doesn't compute for me. No. I think it's probably a good point to kind of interject and just put a disclaimer in there that I've not paid Paul to say any of this, by the way. He's, <laughs> he said this of his own free will um, because literally I, I said the same thing all the time. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. So talk us through then. Obviously, you've already started to articulate, you know, okay, you, you knew you were going to use platforms like LinkedIn. You knew that you were going to use it to kind of create a message. The, the, the idea was to try and get the story out there, which would help the brand and people recognize the brand at least and start to maybe bring some candidates towards you rather than you having to, to go the other way. What were the kind of results that you saw from that? Because I think there's there's probably a little bit of skepticism in the industry. Um, and I know I know this just from the stuff I do. So within our industry, I'm very active on LinkedIn and that, you know, that gets brought up in a load of recruitment podcasts, for example, that look look at, you know, this this X, Y, and Z. And there's mm. always skepticism about, well, yeah, all right, it looks good, but is it a vanity project or whether, you know, did you actually get something out of it? Which I know for you, obviously you've built your team around this foundation, right? But just talk yeah. us through, what the actual tangible results were when you were going through recruiting all those people. So I, um, there's a couple of things I would, I would point to. So I, um, when I set out my operating model, um, I recognized that I was going to need to recruit, uh, around 30 people, uh, to build the capability. And, um, you know, I spoke to I, I spoke to a few recruitment agencies um, as part of kind of, that we that we had already incumbent and those that I'd perhaps worked with before, and all of them said, in this market, that is that is a really tall order. That's going to be a really tough ask. Um, but uh, through the through the approach we've taken, I I've managed to fill um, thirty roles in the last six months across all data disciplines, um, and I wouldn't I wouldn't have done that if I uh, had not done the work to invest in creating the, 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 the story and the, and the brand. Um, so, so we've been able to recruit a, you know, a team at pace a, and a really strong team. I think the second thing, and this was, a, this was a real kind of a bit of a seminal moment for me. So we had recently uh, four data governance roles available that we advertised. Um, and uh, much as I understand and love the importance of data governance and data management, um, it's it's normally seen as the kind of the, the dry side of the topic, shall we say. Um, but for four roles, we had 125 candidates, 125 candidates for data governance and de- for data governance and data management roles. Um, I am. I am a hundred percent sure if I, if we, I say I, if 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 we had not taken the approach to create that brand story, talk to people about what we were trying to achieve as a business, position data management and data governance as a pragmatic, practical exercise that we wanted to to link it to value. 
we wouldn't have had that sort of uh, candidate response. Another example, our apprenticeship, something I'm really proud of is we, we're launching our first uh, data apprenticeship program uh, in September. Uh, for, for two apprentice roles, actually, originally, I had 150 applicants um, for two roles. Um, and what that's meant is we've seen some absolutely fabulous young talent. So what we've now said is, well, actually, we'll, we'll, we'll increase it to four roles because we're seeing so many good people. So, you know, for data governance roles, 125 applicants. For two apprentice roles, 150 applicants. Um, that is, that is, you don't get those results if you just post an ad and say, I've got this job. Are you interested in applying? So that I, that I would say is in terms of outcomes, hopefully that kind of brings to life the value that is is there if you take this approach and and to be honest Carl you know probably, probably shouldn't say this but it takes a probably in terms of the the, the just creating the, the LinkedIn presence it probably takes me half hour maybe an hour a week so if I can invest an hour of my time to tell the story a bit more broadly on LinkedIn and I'm getting over 100 applicants for roles that's time well spent, isn't it? Hundred percent, yeah. And I think that's you know we, we hear that a lot, right? You know, oh, it's it's time, it's this or that. And I'm like, it's not it doesn't take you long. Like you know, you're the subject matter expert of all subject matter experts on this, right? It's your team. It's a business that you're running. It's a, a part of the business that you're running, etc. You know, there's no one better than you. Yes, the talent acquisition team can help you with all of the heavy lifting, but there's no one better than you at first of all getting that message down on paper. And then finding a way to articulate that, right? I think, yeah. and it's the, you know, same thing that I bang on about all the time. There's been, God, probably hundreds of organisations that I've helped recruit over the years where I've posted an advert, and it's 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 on the same page as the direct advert of the organisation, and the candidate that's got the job will apply to mine and not theirs, and it's all yeah. because you can figure out, okay, what is that message that's going to get people interested, and that's all it is right and it's, so it, it's, it blows my mind that I'm thinking I just I just can't fathom why people don't want to take a couple of hours a week max to work this stuff out because the results you know the results speak for themselves and obviously the you know the cost and the time and all of that type of stuff that it takes to go through that when you're getting applicants that aren't relevant like that's you know it's just that can be that can be so frustrating for people. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, so, the, the other thing, you, you make a good point there about cost, right? And and I'm talking to a, somebody who leads a recruitment agency. <laughs> but actually, when you think, when I look at the percentage of direct uh, uh, direct candidate to business uh, recruitment we've done, it's it's pretty high. And when you're thinking about this is a 30, 30 people campaign or strategy if you like you know we have worked with a couple of partners and they've they've helped us find some of our key roles but we've had a much higher percentage of direct uh direct recruitment and there is a cost associated with that right so uh, a few hours an hour or a few, a few hours of my time a week has helped save the business money in that context as well yeah absolutely What's your, because you talked about the apprenticeships there, and I know you're also quite big on the whole reskilling and retraining, which I think, you know, those two aspects are going to be absolutely key to our industry. Because I guess, yep. you know, to go back to your point earlier, there is a talent shortage. If you look at, for specific roles, certainly more so than others, but if you yep. look at what is the supply versus the demand, that tells you that there's a talent shortage. But the fact that you can get 125 more or less relevant applicants for four roles also tells you that 
it's lopsided in the sense that all the talent wants to work for the people that can convey the best message, <laughs> right? <Yeah>. So, so <laughs> that's that speaks for itself. But ultimately, there's still not enough people. So we need to look at how do we get more people into the industry at the start of the funnel? And yeah. also, are there other people that maybe have other skills, you know, as you've talked about, you know, the whole culture change transformation piece is really important. And there's a whole set of skills associated with that. That doesn't mean you need to be able to code in Python and, you know, build models in X, Y, and Z. The whole reskilling piece then can can become a, another angle that allows people to build, you know, really well-rounded teams. So talk us through what you're doing in, in that respect. Sure. So, I mean, in, in terms of, you know, we've got uh, clearly for, for new talent, we've got, there's a few things we're doing. So we've got the apprenticeship schemes, which are targeted. Well, well the, the kind of the, the the criteria says that you need to have a minimum of two A-level equivalent qualifications. Um, and actually, interestingly, through that apprenticeship scheme, we've seen a mixture of people who uh, are, are leaving school with A-levels. We've seen people who have taken a degree, but a different degree, and are interested in getting in data and analytics because they've maybe done a bit of data analysis as part of their degree. We're also seeing uh, people who are maybe three or four years into their career and actually uh, have been exposed to doing a bit of work with maybe Excel or something in their role, and they're really interested in uh, transitioning into a career in data and analytics. So we've had three types of applicants for the apprentices, and we're, you know, we're looking for a cross section of those people. Um, we're doing some work uh, with uh, some local universities. I think we're doing some, going to be doing some work with Salford University, where we kind of, uh, or Manchester University, where we um, partner up with. Uh, places like their data science faculty where we where we you know look as if there's opportunities we can give for people on those courses so I think you know you have to get out into uh, schools and universities more you know we first central as a business earlier last year took on a, um, a kind of early careers uh, created an early careers role and I very quickly kind of cozied up to that person and said right okay how can how can how about you use data as an area where you can you know, develop a strategy around early careers. And actually, you know, Lauren and I have worked very closely together to get things like the apprenticeship scheme off the ground. So I think, you know, getting out into schools, you know, we've had lots of work experience people in. And again, you know, we had a, so we had uh, down in uh, Hayward Heath where we're based, we had uh, some work experience folks in from one of the local schools about four weeks ago. And it was at a time when we had a major delivery going on. The, the team were absolutely flat out. Um, but we spent a week. So we gave, you know, the work experience kids an opportunity to spend a day in each of our data disciplines, because whilst it's time now and you could be doing lots of other things, making that time to invest in kind of potential future candidates. And we had some great feedback. You know, the kids, uh, we had some feedback from some of the parents actually saying, look, you know, they just didn't know this sorts of opportunity was was around. And actually, by taking that time, um, some of them are now interested in a career in data and analytics. But you, you've got to invest the time um, for the future if you if you kind of want to, to develop that talent. Um, the other thing we're looking to do here, uh, and it's something that as we go into 2023, we're going to explore more. We've got this um, with this notion of what we call sort of incubators, where we look for people around our business who are interested in uh, data and analytics or technology, actually. Um, and we're looking to create very small, you know, talking about couple of month potential secondment type things where they come in focus on a specific project 
um, and then uh, potentially develop some skills or get an interest in uh, what we're doing in data and analytics and technology, and then they'll go back into their business area. Um, and I think what I try and promote is that within data and analytics, and you touched on it in your question, there are a whole range of disciplines. You know, so there are some very technical roles around, you know, data engineering, uh, some of the data science roles. But there's also a whole range of roles where you need kind of general business skills. You need to be able to uh, interact and influence and negotiate and work with others that are actually far, if not as, sometimes far more important than the than the technical skills. So what we try and do is is actually we showcase around the business the sorts of roles that we've got, the sorts of work that we're doing, so that people can see that there's an opportunity to to kind of get involved in data. Um, that it isn't all about I need to be able to code in Python or whatever. Um, there's an op there's a much broader set of opportunities. So again, it's about telling the story a little bit internally um and one of the things we did recently was uh, it was sort of under a banner of data literacy we ran a learning at work week where we ran five sessions two of them were power bi sessions so quite quite technical uh, one of them was on uh, caring uh, how we care for our data so we talked about data governance and data management but in really practical terms one was around storytelling with data so i talked about um how do you convey your message? Didn't talk about technology at all. Uh, and one was around, um, do you speak data? So how do we start to converse more using kind of data as a, as a language? Um, so three of the five sessions were not technically focused at all. And actually we had people coming to us after those sessions. So I was really interested in that. Is that an area where you've got you know, opportunities? So just by doing those sorts of things, you start to make people aware that data is not necessarily just about doing very technical things uh, it's a much broader much broader church mm, yeah i guess um that piece then fits very nicely into the whole back to right at the start where you talked about the culture of the business and everyone in it you know for the good of the business because i imagine in a lot of other organizations you'd have other business leaders saying well my team's not going to that session because they might want to leave my team right um which is really interesting another thing you touched upon was about the young talent and apprenticeships and um, I've got to say, we should probably pick up on this another time, but I do a lot of public speaking at Manchester Met University, um, specifically with a, a program called the Q-Step, which is basically in their social sciences faculty um, where they're doing, it's like a, almost like a, a, a kicker program. So it's data and analytics, basically, within a social sciences setting. So mm. it's, you know, sociology, criminology, psychology, something like that. Um all of these students, and, and I go and speak to, you know, the auditorium there, there's about 100, 100 students from undergrads to masters to PhD. It's probably the most diverse room of people I've ever seen, which starts to tackle one side of, of, yeah. of our challenge in the industry. But the thing that amazes me is that despite the fact that they've got the fundamental skills to, to enter our industry already, because they're, they're, they're doing all, you know, data analysis throughout their university program, they don't even know it exists. They don't even know it exists. And I and that's why I go in there to kind of raise the profile of data as yeah. a potential career opportunity. And it's just, it's mental when you think about it, right? So it is, it's good to see that, you know, you're doing things like that. Even, you know, I think my view is you, we probably need to go in earlier, right? If they're at university, we've sometimes missed the boat. You know, if they're in a computer science degree by just sheer demand we're, we're going to suck them into the industry right but other people that have the fundamental skills but don't know it exists 
you know yeah. they probably think well you know my only route here is to go and be a psychologist right which yeah is not true because they're analyzing data just in a different setting so yeah it's uh it's really interesting i guess you've talked about how you bring people in or try and get people interested because i think that's that's an area that a lot of other data leaders struggle with it's like i'd love to bring people in from other domains um mm. How do you go about instigating that? Because you talked about doing these sessions, which raises awareness and you know might get people excited. But is there a have you had a formula to how you go about putting on them sessions? What you which sessions you decide to run and stuff like that? Um, that's a good question. I think um, well, I think there's two ways that 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 opportunity comes around. I think firstly. So there's a few things that I that I try and do. So um, as part of the overall sort of data culture piece, um, one of the key um, pillars, if you like, in my in in our strategy around creating a data enabled culture is to create um, a sense of com data community across the organisation, because there are lots of people doing stuff with data um, in their own kind of business pillars or their own departments, uh, and a they don't get an opportunity to share the good work that they're doing. Uh, so that it can be reused by other parts of the business. B, they don't necessarily have a support network of people who could help them if they're wrestling with a particular problem. Uh, and C, they don't really have an opportunity to kind of work together to generate new ideas. So one of the one of the things that wherever I am looked to put in place quite quickly is how do we create a place where those people across the organization can start to collaborate. Uh, and a good example is, you know, we uh, within the first three months of Moot, we started, we created our Power BI uh, Teams channel, uh, which is just a, a place, a community place. And in the first month or so, I would say, you know, the odd person was posting there saying, oh, I've got this question with Power BI. And my central team were the ones responding. But it's really interesting. If you look at that community now, uh, you know, somebody in underwriting might raise a question to say, you know, I'm having this challenge. Has anybody else done it? And somebody in another part of the business is answering that question. So my team are now. You know, they're not they're out, they are helping, but actually the community are helping each other. And what what that does is it means it starts to identify opportunities where actually there's some people doing some really smart things that actually might be a, a potential candidate for, you know, the data team in future. So just creating that visibility around that community, I think, allows you to spot some uh, potential talent that you could, you know, you could bring into your central data team or you can go out and coach and mentor and nurture yourself to build that that talent further in the in the area yeah he uses a bit of a, a cheerleader right within that business domain yep yeah exactly makes sense makes sense um so a couple of questions to finish then paul because i'm conscious of uh, of your time yeah. um i think one of the biggest things that most organizations struggle with when they are going to recruit is understanding and identifying what what that compelling message needs to be because obviously yeah. that message you know a data governance role is very different to a data engineering role which is very different yeah. to a data product role which is very different to a leadership role right and i think often and that's why we probably end up with these very bland generic job descriptions right because we're trying to encompass yeah. all be all things to all people within one framework of a job description but I think that's where a lot of people struggle, especially if they're not being very proactive, like obviously you have been to kind of get mm. to understand what makes people tick and, and that type of stuff. But just talk us through 
how did you go about figuring out okay this i need to talk about these types of things for this type of role in order to generate interest around this specific role because i think that's the thing yeah. that probably most most data leaders even struggle with to be honest with you yeah so i i mean i think for for me um it's all about creating um clarity on the the purpose you know because i think i think you know people are yes people want to get paid a good salary you know but actually i think if if people can understand if they join your organization what's the what's the what's the greater good that they're contributing towards so what the place i always start is how do i across all roles how do i get a message across that helps people understand if they come and join me in the data team what's the bigger purpose that they're contributing towards um because i think you know too often people are, are kind of i say people are treated like mushrooms really where they're kind of they're put in a dark room and you know they get fed a piece of work and it's like i just want you to do this piece of work and then i want you to hand it off to somebody else and they then get their next ticket and they have to that is for me that that's soul destroying you know because i think people genuinely want to understand the purpose and what they're trying to achieve i think the second thing is linked to that purpose identify the things that are of interest for data people um and and just talk about those because you know if you if you can start to talk about how you've helped customers or colleagues or the ambition you've got around helping customer and colleagues to uh, take better services or have better products or have you know a better experience at work link those through to how data is going to support the achievement of those i think that's really important so start with purpose then bring to life the 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 things that if you work in a data function you're going to be contributing to at a business level because i think one of the biggest flaws i i see um with lots of data practitioners across you know linkedin is the place that i see a lot of this stuff is that they they talk a lot about the technology and the latest data concept you know the number of people i've seen posting about you know data mesh data fabric and okay it's it i'm not saying it's not important because it is it's kind of patterns that will help us deliver data solutions more effectively to support business outcomes but fundamentally we're people, we're human beings. We want to understand how are we going to contribute to the success of a business? Not, mm-hmm. you know, how, do I, how am I going to get an opportunity to go master my skills on, you know, creating a, a data fabric or data mesh? That might be a byproduct, but what they want to understand is how seriously is data being taken in your business and what contribution can I make to that? Because mm-hmm. that excites people. And I, in my experience, you know, and I've through the recruitment process i've had candidates who've been offered more money uh, in other in other companies and actually when you talk to them about the purpose the ambition and how data is integral to the success of our organization and what we're trying to do um, and be honest you know the fact i tell them this is this is at times a chaotic environment because of where we are with our data journey um people value that mm-hmm. so that would be my overriding message i would say yeah, and absolutely agree. Probably time for a second disclaimer. I've also not asked Paul or paid him to say any of that either. Um, but I mean, I, you know, the, I think the, the purpose bit can be the same, right? That's that's like the cool story kind of engaging bit of why you should come and join us. And then it's finding out, okay, what drives these people? And I think I speak a lot about this, but 
this has changed a lot over the last even five years because I think many people, data practitioners especially, have felt they've been burnt by mm. companies paying lip service to all of this stuff, right? You know, it's uh, so now what we find is what people really care about is is my work visible, valued, and impactful. You know, because exactly what you said, it's almost like a conveyor belt of of projects. It lands on the desk, they do it, off it goes, next one, next one. And they've they've no visibility of where that work's gone. You know, was it was it used? Was it not? Was it good? Was it bad? Um, so I think yeah. the, the kind of tangibles around what people are looking for. So then when you start to tie all that together in a job advert or a LinkedIn post about, you know, this is what we do. Here's our data strategy. Here's what the data strategy is trying to fuel towards our business objectives. Here's the role that you play in that data strategy, blah, 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 blah. I mean, there's so few people doing that. It's really easy to stand out in the crowd. That's what I say all the time. I don't understand why more people aren't taking advantage of this, but um, but there we go. Um, so last question then, Paul, diversity, obviously probably the biggest topic on every boardroom agenda at the moment, especially within industries like ours, right, where it's um, very male-dominated, um, yeah. for example. How have you gone about trying to get the balance right? Because it, it is tricky, right? You know, the fact is that there are a lot less females or people of colour or whatever other minority yeah. metric we use in our industry than there are white blokes, right yeah. so just by default you're going to get more applicants that are white blokes for example so how have you gone about making sure that your your process has been kind of bulletproof to make sure that you are getting a good balanced kind of selection yeah i mean i think there's a couple of things i would say i think firstly um it was a deliberate part of the strategy and i i drew on the experience of the talent acquisition team uh, who'd done some work with other parts of the business to say how did you what were the things you did to try and you know tap into uh, more female talent for example um so they so you use your talent acquisition team who will have experience of kind of doing that in parts of your business i think the second thing is um i uh in my last few years at nationwide i i was shared some research about um the different kind of psychology of males and females when they look at things like job ads so the natural tendency of a of a man is if they've got five out of the 10 skills, they'll go, I've got five out of the 10 skills, I can apply for that. The kind of natural female uh, kind of mindset around that is, oh, I have, there's five of those skills that I haven't got, therefore I'll not apply for that. So what, one of the things I, uh, I'm i really keen to do is to not have job ads that list, you know, 10, 12 bullets of this is what you must have, because that will naturally screen out uh, a, a bunch of people that actually really want applying for the role. Um, now, we have some slight wrinkles in that, you know, because of our system, uh, you know, the job description naturally translates into the job ad. But that's where I think it's my role and my my hiring manager's roles to be able to create that, you know, don't necessarily read the job ad. Here's the narrative of what we want this role to achieve as a paragraph. Um, I think the second thing is, if you if you were to read uh, most of my posts on LinkedIn, um, there's always a balance. So I talk I talk a little bit about data and the technology, but I talk a lot about behaviours, leadership, culture, the environment we're creating, and actually. I've found that across, um, uh, you know, kind of gender and ethnic diversity, when you talk about things at that kind of level, it engages a whole, a much broader set of people. Um, 
Now, and I think that gets a broader set of people interested in what you're doing as an organization. And actually, that connection to the culture and the behaviors, I think, draws more people in, uh, which means you then got uh, you then got a broader range of candidates that you're talking to. Um, and then specifically through the recruitment process, we have uh, within within First Central, we have um, uh, an interview process that says there has to be a mixture of uh, male and female interviewers. Uh, so we don't get any unconscious bias built in as part of that process. Um, uh, and um, I would say that's probably it, really. I mean, I think, but it was a very, you know, I do think it's that combination of understand the different psychologies of candidates, you know, talk about the broader things rather than just the the, the, the individual technology that you're looking for. Describe the kind of the culture and the values because more people will connect with that. And then just ensure your interview process doesn't have any kind of unconscious bias uh, embedded in it. And and one, one area where I think, you know, uh, companies, but certainly the data industry as a whole needs to get much better at is around, you know, the recruitment of neuro, neurodiverse talent because, it's such a, an untapped area, uh, particularly when you look at some of the more technical roles, some of the data engineering roles, for example. But traditional competency-based interview processes, if you kind of slap a competency-based interview on a, somebody who's neurodiverse and you don't think about giving them the questions beforehand, allowing them time to prepare, they, they won't succeed in that environment. So there's mm. more we need to do there because there's a fantastic source of largely untapped talent there that I think we need to get better at and tailor our recruitment processes to support. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think I think what you said there, Paul, probably sums up why you've been hugely successful using this approach because to you, you said, you know, that's probably it. But that probably it <laughs> is three or four <laughs> things more than most other organizations do like you said you know there's an internal system it spits out a jd based on you putting in some in some data into it that then is reflected into an advert the narrative around that advert's not changed i talk about this all the time but the purpose of an advert is completely different than the purpose of a jd so it does need to be changed it does need to have that message that narrative etc it does need to be checked for um, the stuff you talked around about values and behaviours because that engages a whole different type of more diverse audience. So while you say that that's it, well that's that that that's that is it. Yeah, exactly. That's it. You know, that's what makes it work. Um, so yeah, it's uh, you can see it's a, a <laughs> an emotive subject for me because um, I feel like I finally found someone who who gets it. So um, no, look, kudos to you, Paul. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for giving up your morning. Um, pleasure. And yeah look um we look forward to seeing how the rest of the journey unfolds for you great stuff thanks for the opportunity to chat it's been really good to catch up no problem all right i'll speak to you soon paul cheers cheers thanks that's it for this episode of driven by data the podcast i hope you enjoyed it i'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics until then Please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these too. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week. Bow 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 bow